Welcome to the Her Define podcast, here to help you define your own means of success. Do you have ambitious career goals but are feeling lost, confused, or even frustrated with where you're currently at? Maybe you have a passion to start your own business but don't know how to achieve it. Hi, I'm Juliana and I've been right where you are at several points in my life. During these times, I've turned to inspiring and ambitious women for guidance to point me in the right direction and lead me to a solution. Each week, here on Her to Find, a successful entrepreneurial or businesswoman will share her real-life experiences and insights while defining the ways in which she achieved success. Thanks so much for listening. Let's get into it. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the Her to Find podcast. This podcast has been a long time coming, and I am so excited for you to hear these incredible founders and businesswomen's stories and advice. Before we dive into the episode, allow me to introduce myself. I'm Juliana. I'm 25, working in digital media within the self-care and beauty industry, and your host of Her Defined. Like I said, this podcast has been a long time coming. I think it's been about a year and a half now that I've been brainstorming this idea. And the reason it's taken so long is because I've had so much hesitation on whether I should, you know, fulfill this podcast. Should Should I do it? I think I struggled with, is anyone going to feel the same way? Will anyone listen to it? Will anyone find this useful in their own life, trying to navigate their own career? And then the pandemic happened and I had a lot of free time, (laughs) time to reflect and sort of realize that I have to take a step back from working. So maybe I should be using that time to fulfill this idea of the podcast. So here I am recording in my closet Being stuck at home, there is really nowhere to get some peace and quiet, so the closet it is. Like any other young female, I am trying to navigate the ever-changing career world. With this pandemic, a lot of us have been forced to take a step back, particularly from our jobs. And my whole life has been focused on my job. A large part of my identity is rooted in my career, and it's been such a challenge now to not work as much or to take a step back. And my heart really goes out to all of those people who have either lost their job during this pandemic or have had to take a step back. I never imagined that I would be working less. I started to think, well, if I'm not working as much, then things aren't going to get done. My goals will be pushed back and I won't succeed. And then when I was thinking about that, I started to question, well, how do I define success? What does it mean to me? Do other women define it differently? That is what her defined is determined to achieve. Finding out answers to all of these questions. By no means do I have all the answers, but I'm certain that the guests you're about to hear will. My first guest is Kim Ziegner, and she is nothing short of amazing. Kim owns her family business, East Town Barbershop in London, Ontario. She took over the shop when her uncle Dieter became ill, and at the time she had zero barbering abilities. She had to teach herself everything. She sought guidance and education from others in the industry, but for the most part, she just winged it. Over the course of her career, she's guest barbered in Amsterdam to all over Toronto. She's taught in Kelowna and is a scumbassador for men's grooming brand Ruzel. She also happens to be my best friend Sammy's mom. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your crazy schedule, Kim. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, no worries. It's my pleasure. So let's just start off by summarizing what you were doing before you got into barbering. Okay. So... A long time ago, back when dinosaurs were roaming the earth still, I got a Bachelor of Science in nursing from Western. So I have a degree in nursing, 
which I never did, but I used that degree um, in my uh, in my field in education. So I worked mostly with kids that had learning difficulties, teaching, reading, and writing, and that kind of thing. So I owned a learning center. So for about 15 years before barbering, I was in the field of education. How would those jobs have sort of shaped you today? What I got out of those jobs and in all of my jobs, my whole life actually, uh, have been working with people, bartending, lifeguarding, education, nursing, everything is working with people. And and so I I have a pretty good understanding of sort of therapeutic listening and, and working with people. And I think part of part of what barbering is, you know, obviously you're cutting someone's hair and making them look good. But the other part is actually the conversation and what happens between the two of you for that half hour or 45 minutes. So quite often it can turn into a therapy session. I'm, I'm pretty good at working with people. So both of your parents were hairdressers, is that correct? Both of my parents, my uncle, my three of my grandparents. So it's really in the family. I'm third generation. Wow, that's amazing. How did that influence you going to hair school? Because you did go to hair school in the beginning. I went to hair school, yeah, in 1990. But I I dropped out because I, I wanted to become a nurse. So I wanted to go to higher education. And at the time, I I was limited in my understanding of what could happen in the hair industry. My mom wanted me to go to hair school to take over her salon. And at the time she had particularly difficult staff and I couldn't imagine, I could not imagine taking over a salon and working with all of those people and trying to manage everything and, you know, doing women's hair. It actually wasn't that appealing to me. I didn't know you could be a barber. So describe and I guess elaborate on one of the most meaningful and rewarding experiences that you've had in your career this far. In my barbering career, I have been lucky enough through, um, there's all sorts of, throughout the year, there's all sorts of events, barbering events, hair events, hair shows, and they all have, the barbering industry has grown over the last 10 years. So there's there's more of an influence of barbering in those shows. And so through, you know, attending those and networking and, and, and educating myself, I got hired on by a big name company called Rusal uh, to be one of their Canadian educators. So with that, I'm lucky enough to travel all over Canada before everything shut down. I, I got to visit a few places. And, um, and one of the things I got to do was called the Community Barber Showcase, where they flew a bunch of barbers into Vancouver for the weekend. And we all, you know, we did a show on Sunday, but we flew in Friday night. So we got to hang out with each other. And um, I think that that one weekend really sealed the deal of why I do what I do. And it was really inspiring because we we got to hang out with each other. We were all educators, but we all learned from each other. We shared the stage. 
I got to learn more about how to be an effective teacher and I got to learn different ways of barbering. And so it's one of those experiences where you're flown in to teach, but I walked away having learned more than probably what I taught anybody, which was great. And and everybody feels the same way about it. So those kinds of events are are pretty inspiring. Do you find that you still keep in touch with all those people? Yes. Yeah, we do. We we're all, you know, we're all friends on Facebook and Instagram and really can't wait to get together again when all the, you know, travel restrictions are lifted because we all find that those kinds of events, you know, nobody makes any money. I mean, we get flown in, so our expenses are paid, but we, we, we donate our time, but it's, it's, it's really, you know, sort of getting a chance to hang out for a weekend with people that know the struggles that you have and deal with the same kinds of things. And, and, and so you can vent and get some ideas maybe about how to run a shop or how to deal with staff or that kind of thing that you wouldn't get just whatever. How do you now, because everything's shut down, like no one can travel, how do you continue to get or connect with people like that or get the same like learning experiences now? when you're stuck at home? Um, Ruzel, actually, and, and quite a few barbers uh, and barber educators have switched to online learning. So there's there's free online learning. Ruzel's doing every Monday. They do uh, a haircut by one of their educators or the big wig. And so you can learn from those. You get inspired by those. There's also barbers that have put out paid education that's just online. So, so the industry is sort of rolling with the, the punches and kind of redefining themselves for the moment. I think, you know, the, the community of going somewhere and gathering with people is always best and most inspiring but there is education still out there to keep people going. Definitely. In the beginning of taking over the barber shop, you were trying to find someone to work with. And this sort of ties into when you dropped out of hair school, you did not want to work with other people because they were difficult. So when you were then taking over the barber shop, you needed help. What was the process of finding several barbers or like dealing with people that may have disrespected you or have taken advantage of you? So I can tell you that things haven't changed. <laughs> Staff is always difficult. It's a, it's a really it's it's been a learning process. So and I'm still learning. So I have to sort of take every experience that I have, learn from it, and try to do better uh, the next time, either in the way that I treat the person or in who I hire and the personality types. So I've I've definitely had difficulties. In the beginning, when I wasn't a strong barber yet, and I was a woman, um, I hired a few people that really thought they were better than me, uh, simply because they were a man, uh, or they'd been in the barbering industry for a long time, or whatever it was. Um, and, And they made sure that I knew it. And so those guys didn't last long um, because they weren't always better than me. I mean, sometimes they were, but sometimes they weren't, right? And so 
it's just about dealing with egos. I finally found, you know, some people to work with. In the beginning, I said, I'm done with men. I'm going to hire women. And, and uh, so I, I hired a few women. And we've sort of come full circle back to now it's myself and two men in the shop. Um, but, but certainly I've changed the way I deal with them. I've also changed the way who the personality types of the people that I'm hiring. So I'm always looking now for people that are eager to learn, uh, constantly educating themselves and don't have an ego. Right. Or, or I mean, maybe have a little bit of an ego, but they're, they're, they don't think they're better than me. And I don't need to be the best in my shop. I don't have that need. In fact, when some, when, when my barbers start to, you know, get better than me and I look at their haircuts and I think, oh, wow, that's so good. Uh, it makes me feel really good about it. Right. Like, that's great. I've hired the right people. You know, they're doing great. Can you explain the differences between working with an all-female staff or majority females and then now switching and most people you work with are primarily men? With my girls, I really tried to empower, you know, so I was working on empowering women to be the best that they could be and, and do really well and that kind of thing. And so, so some of them started out shy for low self-confidence. And I felt like my job was sort of to bring them out of that and bring them up and raise them up and build their self-confidence and, you know, make them feel like they could, they were empowered that they could do it on their own and, you know, become more independent women. And I kind of shot myself in the foot with that because now they've all left and opened their own barbershop. <laughs> so, I can be proud of that on one hand, but on the other hand, you know, I now don't have them anymore and they're doing well, right? So that's good. I don't know if I can speak to the difference between, you know, having an all-female staff and having an all-male staff because the guys that I have now, we've built this environment that is inclusive and and I still try to empower everybody, right? So. So I actually can't speak to that because I don't have a bunch of guys in there with big egos and, you know, that kind of thing. So it's not your typical barbershop staff. We've got, you know, people that respect everybody. Yeah, that's good. I think that's really important. When you were starting out, you got the shop. How long did it take for you to fully feel confident with your skill set, like cutting, razoring, shaving, all that? It took me a, a year to feel confident in my skills that I, I wasn't going to, you know, make people look ridiculous. And it took about two years before I felt like the people walking out of my shop were consistently looking really good. I had never picked up slippers before I started. And the first day that I started, you know, I picked up the clippers and just started cutting hair. So it was, and I've seen it done, right? But it was completely fake it until you make it. And, and so it took two years to really get successful and start having word of mouth advertising and building up the business. 
And when you got the business, again, you had no background. What was that feeling like? Like now you have to run, manage, operate, work within the barbering industry and you have zero experience. What was that feeling? It was more difficult sort of dealing with hiring staff than running a business. It's a it's a service business. So people come in, they get their haircut, they pay their money, and they leave. They might buy shampoo or, or gel or something, right? So it's not, the business isn't actually difficult. It's not a difficult business to run. The staffing is difficult. That's been the real big, big issue the whole, for the whole thing. It was more difficult until I felt confident in my own abilities. So once I felt like I really knew what I was doing barbering and my haircuts were consistently going out looking good, it was a little bit easier to deal with staff and that kind of thing. Business-wise, it's a very easy business. When you picked up the clippers for the first time or you were just faking it till you made it, did you face any obstacles or adverse reactions when you were cutting men's hair because you were a female? So the business was my uncle's business and my and my uncle had a very steady stream of regular clients. And a lot of them were old guys and farmers from Woodstock and, and that kind of thing. A lot of them really didn't care about their hair. They just, you know, needed it to be shorter. So I I got the benefit of a client base that wanted to keep the business going for my uncle's return. And so a lot of them would say, you know what the difference between a good haircut and a bad haircut is? Two weeks. Or or you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear, right? So she didn't really <laughs> care about the haircut so much, just as long as it was shorter than when they came in. So I got some practice on my uncle's customers, and they were very good about it. And, you know, we had some good laughs along the way as I fumbled my way through and learned how to do what I was doing. But there were guys that would walk in just literally see a woman cutting hair and turn around and walk out again. After probably about a year of him coming in every month and and me saying, I could cut your hair, and him saying, no way, <laughs> I finally told him, you know, dude, don't come back. Like, it's really rude what you're doing, right? So I did face people not wanting a, a woman to cut their hair. It was, it was, you know, maybe five or 10 of them really that had really adverse reactions to a woman cutting their hair. And, and now they're used to it. So 10 years ago, it was a little bit more rare for a woman to be cutting hair in a barbershop. It's slowly starting to change. Barbering is not the typical career path for a woman. So how do you deal with people who might not understand your passion or your abilities or the industry that you're currently working in? The the industry is seeing more women come into it. Um, and and that's good, right? It's it's starting to change. Uh, people dealing with people that don't understand what I'm doing or why I'm doing it. I don't, you know, I'll always listen to people's opinions about things and, and their thoughts and that kind of thing, but I'm not really driven by what other people think you know so 
So they can they can think about that, but I'm gonna just keep going, right? So if somebody's super negative, I'm gonna prove them wrong anyway. So I don't listen too much to negativity. I try to make it a practice to stick with the positive and and that and that kind of thing. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> just tune <laughs> <Yeah>. it out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Can you describe what a typical work day looks like for you? And I mean, right now, it's probably even more crazy given you just opened again. Yeah, it's the, it's the second time that we've come back from lockdown. And it, it is busier than usual because the phone is ringing all day long. Um, we have online booking. So most of the booking is done online. So generally, I'll come in, I'll open the shop and... Preparation doesn't take very long, and I start cutting hair at nine, one client after another, a small lunch break, and then one client after another until the end of the day. So my work day, I think it's a super fun job because all I do really is make people feel good about themselves and talk all day. It's actually just like being a bartender, but I don't have to deal with the drunk people, right? So, so it's, I, I would say it's super fun. The only thing that's, you know, maybe a little challenging is that you have your arms up all day and you're standing all day. So you, you know, your shoulders might hurt or that kind of thing. But other than that, it's going to work and having fun all day. That's awesome. So I guess you would say the most enjoyable thing about your work day is that you get to chat with everyone and just be around other people. Yeah. And well, and I also get to, you know, work on people's self-esteem and self-confidence, I make them look good. And, you know, hopefully chatting with them, I also make them feel good. And they walk out the door, you know, in a better place than when they walked in the door. And that's fun. It's fun to do that. It's fun to, you know, when you have somebody come in with super long hair, or they haven't had their hair cut for six months, and then to transform them into you know, something amazing, and they had no idea they could look that good. It's fun to do. So yeah, it's um, probably the best, the best part of the job is, is really it is, it's talking to people all day. It's a super social job. This being the second time that you've shut down, what kind of lessons have you learned during this pandemic and having time off? I think that um a great deal of the population has probably learned the same thing that I learned over this. The first shutdown I got to, it was three months long, and I got to spend a lot of time with my grandchildren. And the, a lot. They, came, they moved in with me, and I had them for three months, and we did all sorts of fun stuff and gardening and, and, and scootering and parks and this and that. And I I realized during that time that I am in my work life constantly running in front of a freight train. And I'm a workaholic and I I work too much. So there isn't a good um, work-life balance. And I I realized that I don't want to work that much, right? So I'm I'm constantly working 11-hour days. And it's fun, right? So you sort of fall into this trap of I'm having fun at work. It's really fun. And, but to the, you know, sort of your family life sort of falls to the wayside. You don't see people enough and your friends and family 
you know, they don't even know who I am really anymore. So it gave me a chance to stop, slow down, and realize that maybe I need to think about that a little bit more. I've sort of changed the direction of where I'm going with my business, uh, trying to um, build something that sustains me, but that I don't, that eventually I don't have to work all those hours anymore. So the lesson that I learned over that whole time is work smarter, not harder. And how can you do that? What has to change to get me to that place? Right. And how did you do that? Have you been cutting down hours now? Probably not this past week. So no, I, I haven't. I haven't been cutting down hours right now because we're coming out of lockdown and and um, everybody needs their haircut. So, you know, it's kind of a flurry of activity. In planning for the future, I'm opening a new barbershop. We're moving locations. And what I'm trying to do over the next three years is sort of build something uh, that that works with me a little bit more on the sidelines where maybe I can step back a little bit from actually cutting hair and move more into training and and just running the shop and training the people and answering the phones and selling the products and just kind of having fun that way and um, being able to sort of leave that to my kids, my son now, um, to sort of run the more day-to-day activities, it's going to be a business for him as well, where I can step back a little, I still get a little bit of money, and I get to hang out with my grandchildren more. And how do you ensure that you keep yourself accountable of that and make sure that you're not falling back into old habits where you might be working 11-hour days? So, so, so far... I, I've, I've now cut my Wednesday short so that I can pick up my grandchildren after school. And that's just, that's a new thing. And I'm going to keep doing that. Uh, but other than that, opening up a new business, right? Moving the shop into a new location and opening a brand bank and new shop, you're going to work more. It just is what it is. The accountability, I think, comes from, am I planning this properly? Am I, am I moving towards the, the things that I want? Am I taking the right steps to get to the place where I can actually back off? Dealing with the fact that you've just reopened, um, I'm sure, like you said, things are a big flurry, super busy. What are your tips or the best ways that you deal with stress? I'm not a highly anxious person. So I don't get too stressed by stuff like that. I get stressed more. What's that like? Let's just talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) I feel very fortunate in that. What do I do to relieve this? I I escape entirely and watch a mind-numbingly stupid show or, you know, RuPaul's Drag Race or something like that to shut down at the end of the day. I've had times in my life that have been incredibly stressful and just everything, right? When my kids were young and, 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 you know, just stress from every direction. My life now, it's nothing, right? So I've lived through traumatic stress and all that kind of stuff. And now I don't have that kind of thing to deal with stress. I think you have to stay on top of 
everything, right? You can't let things go undone. And stress comes from, you know, sort of procrastinating and not doing the things that you need to do. Uh, If you keep doing the things you need to do and you're working towards something, that decreases your anxiety and your stress. So you've changed your hairstyle like quite a bit. I remember you used to be like platinum blonde. Were you teal? You had teal, right? Maybe. I'm not sure. I think maybe for a week. Maybe you saw me in a week where I had some teal in my hair. I'm not sure. It's usually it's usually some varying shade of pink now. And I think it's going to be that forever. I was going to say, what's the favorite style that you've ever had? But I, I think it might be the pink. The pink mohawk with the shaved sides and the... Right now, it's a, it's got a sort of tail at the back, so I'm, you know, mullety, mohawk, shaved sides, ridiculous for my age, not appropriate at all haircut. <laughs> That's perfect. Can you speak to what about the barbering industry is so special and unique to you? The barbering industry is an industry where you are actually out there making a difference in people's lives. On a very small scale, one person at a time, you're helping them improve, you know, their self-confidence. Over the course of years, I've, I've seen guys through their teenage years, then they meet their girlfriend and they become their, you know, they get engaged and then they get married and I do their hair for the wedding and you really become a part of that person's life. And, and, you know, they ask you for advice and and that kind of thing. So that's something that's really special about this job. The industry as a whole right now is, is, is seeing this sort of real change because the barber shop is coming back. So the barber shop used to be really popular. It was, you know, a guy's thing. And it was a community thing. And, you know, you got your old guy sitting there all day playing chess and, and whatever else. It was the hub of a community. And, and that disappeared with long hair in the, in the late 60s and, and 70s. So the barbershop kind of disappeared. Now it's coming back again. Men are getting more into grooming. And, and I think with, with the pandemic and everything, people are trying to support local more. I think that was happening before the pandemic, but more so even now, supporting local. So people are going to barbershops. It's a, it's a growing industry. So many people in the industry are looking at men's mental health and, you know, sort of working towards what can we do in that, in that field, right? Because, you know, honestly, mostly our, our clients are mostly male, you know, looking at men's mental health and, and helping men talk more and, and that kind of thing is something that's happening in the industry that is something really nice to see. It's, it's becoming a, a community of like-minded individuals that actually want to make a difference in the world. It's not just a haircut. Yeah, definitely. And I also think that there's something to be said about mental health as well as it sounds a little superficial, but your physical appearance, investing in yourself, whether that be with a haircut or a new set of clothes or whatever, I think that does reflect into your inner self and just give you a sense of worth. Yeah. So Her Defined is dedicated to women defining their own means of success. So what is your definition of success? Success is a, it's a really tricky one, right? Because it changes. 
I think over time, what your definition of success is. You know, if you had asked me that four years ago, I would have said, you know, I'm going to feel successful when I'm a world-class educator traveling all over the world on stages and, 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 you know, teaching people and cutting hair and signing autographs. Now, you know, after the pandemic, <laughs> I still, I, I still want to teach. I really get a lot of joy out of teaching and, and I do want to do all that, you know, still want to travel with that. But what I think that I'm going to define I've been success when I've been successful would be when I get that shop up and running. I really want to create an environment where people can come to work. They enjoy coming to work. They make good money for themselves. I make decent money. And it's it's just, it's a little community of happy people, happy, empowered people that are making a good living wage. And I've helped them get to that place. I feel like I will have hit success when I when I get to that point where I can take a step back and everything still runs smoothly. I like that. Yeah, that's definitely fair. So describe your experience working in a male-dominated industry and how you've thrived within it. I think one of the ways that I've thrived in the industry is to not compare myself to male barbers, right? So I'm one of those people that really, I compete with myself. I want to be the best that I can be. And so I've been constantly educating myself and, you know, getting better at my trade. And really, in the end, that's all that matters. Do I do a good haircut? Yes. It doesn't matter what my gender is. If I can exude that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm worthy of your respect because I can do a really great men's haircut. And I think the industry is changing a little bit because so I have a classic barbershop and most of the classic barbershops out there in the world will tell you that it doesn't matter. You know, women can cut hair just as, as good as men can cut hair. What is your advice to other women that are in male-dominated industries or uh, working with majority of men? Maybe they feel a little bit taken aback or not as confident or just have doubts within themselves? Yeah, I think that's sort of the, the go-to is that we doubt ourselves because we're women and, and, and it's sort of ingrained in us, you know, from birth that, that we're lesser than or, 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 or whatever it is. I think that you have to respect yourself first and you have to be constantly growing. So if you're constantly learning and growing and trying to be the best that you can be in whatever industry it is, you know, you sell cars, you want to learn as much as you can about cars and how to sell and that kind of thing. And nobody can dispute with you. If you sell more cars, you know, you're good at what you do. So I think, I think we, 
we obviously we have to prove ourselves more than maybe a man would have to prove themselves, but it is, I think, slowly, slowly changing, very slowly, but we have to respect ourselves. I think we can't compare ourselves. Like if I'm constantly comparing myself to the barber down the street or or that barber who's better than me, or that kind of thing, I'm going to feel lesser than. What really matters is how many people sit in my chair and get their hair cut by me, right? So it's, they don't care that I'm a woman or uh, like a woman barber or a, ma- a male barber. And and there is a, a, a big um, run in the industry to stop calling us lady barbers. Oh my God, wait, they actually say that? Yeah, 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 lady barbers. There's a big, you know, actually, we're not lady barbers, we're barbers, right? But that has to come from ourselves, too, right? That has to come from us, too. We have to not say we're lady barbers. We have to sort of just be barbers. Yes, 100%. Starting with removing the word lady barbers from the vocabulary, what else do you (laughs) think needs to be done on an industry level to encourage more women to enter the barbering industry? I think the industry is doing it right now. Our industry, they've hired me as an educator. They've hired Pope the Barber as an educator. They have Hayden Cassidy in Ireland, you know. So there's all these really strong female barbers who are, are working their way up because of how they cut hair and how good they are at it. And I think in London, you know, we have a really big group of strong female barbers right so it's happening the companies are doing it they they are trying they're getting the the fact out there that these you know female barbers are amazing and i think we're just trying you know the next step is going to be to get these female barbers are amazing you know to take out the female and just call us barbers and here we are here's some more amazing barbers a while ago, I remember I was talking to Sammy, and she worked at the shop for you for a while. Um, she's now in hairdressing. However, she mentioned that barbershops will actually turn away or refuse women who are looking for a haircut. What are your thoughts on sexism within the barbering industry? I think part of the the reason why some of those barbershops um, refuse to cut women's hair is because they're afraid of cutting women's hair. They're They're, they're afraid of screwing it up. It comes across as sexist, and yes, many barbershops are sexist um, or homophobic. That's probably a, a bigger problem. Our barbershop, and there are quite a few in London now, that you know, if a woman calls me and says, do you cut women's hair? I say, we cut short hair. So if you want a short haircut, you can come here and get it cut by us. I am not an expert in long hair. Some guys have long hair. Guys' long haircuts are a little bit different than women's long haircuts. If you want an, an asymmetrical bob, you're not coming to me because I never do them, right? So if a woman actually comes in and asks, you know, you know, can you give me an asymmetrical bob? I'll say, I can try. <laughs> But you might be better off <laughs> with someone a little more experienced at asymmetrical bobs, right? Like I, you know, you're going to be my first one. And if you want that, then fine. And so I think 
we can get around that whole, you know, barbershops don't cut women's hair by sort of specifying what kind of haircuts we do do. So I'll, I'll do my disclaimer at the beginning. There's always going to be sexism or homophobia. And all we can do is just educate, educate, educate. So you mentioned that you are opening a new shop. Mm -hmm. What are your plans for the future? What are you most excited about? And what are you looking forward to? The new shop that we're opening up is going to be in a development. Uh, Kellogg's used to be a factory. And they're sort of turning it into this big entertainment facility with indoor golf and indoor ropes course and trampoline park. And Hard Rock Hotel is going to be there. Eventually, we're going to be just off the lobby of the Hard Rock Hotel in the middle of all this entertainment and there's a there's a brewery there and a distillery and restaurants and that kind of thing. So big entertainment complex. I'm looking forward to when that is all finished and we're in there. It's going to be this great community. There's going to be a thousand employees there. It's just going to be this community of people in in the old east area of London. And I just, I think it's going to be fun and exciting. I'm looking forward to building a different style of business where people can feel empowered, where I, where I, where I can grow a staff that feel really good about being there, good enough to not leave. I think that place is going to be the place where I can do that. And I'm looking forward to that. Thank you so much, Kim, for being Herdefine's first guest, in addition to sharing your story and advice on thriving within a male-dominated industry. I particularly liked that you commented on the only person you're in competition with is yourself. I think that's very useful advice because, like you said, women are often criticized or critiqued much harder than men are. And if we're comparing ourselves to everyone else, then we're just set up for failure. If you want to continue listening, the second episode of Her to Find is available now. Click next wherever you're listening to hear my interview with Bridget George. Bridget is an Anishinaabe illustrator, mother, and children's book author. She's detailing her experience of following her heart and pursuing her passion. Thank you so much for listening to the Her to Find podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I want your feedback. Do you have any successful entrepreneurial or businesswoman in your life who should be featured on an episode of Her to Find? If so, send me a DM on Instagram at Her to Find Podcast or by email at herdefinedpodcast at gmail.com. Today's episode has been produced and edited by yours truly, Juliana Dalacosta. Be sure to check back next Tuesday for another episode to hear her stories, hear her advice, hear her defined.